Okay. It's good to have a few people left when the kids leave. That's good. I appreciate that. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Healing is a huge topic today. And there's a lot of disagreement among churches. There are full charismatic churches that believe people still have the gift of healing and that they can go and heal whoever uh, they, they want to heal. And we have some that believe they can heal, but only if Jesus wants it. And we have others who say uh, that the gift of healing, the charismatic gift of healing, because charisma means gift in the Greek text, that that has uh, come to an end as a miraculous sign gift. But I'm one that believes that. But I also believe that Jesus Christ can heal any time he wants to, and it can be miraculous. I just don't believe that gift is being handed out today. But if I didn't believe that Jesus healed, I wouldn't be praying for people uh, at the hospital for, you know, things like surgeries and getting well and those kinds of issues. So I believe God can heal. What I want us to do today is I want us to look at the text and see what Jesus teaches us about this subject because we need to have that in mind if we happen to be the one that is sick and the one that needs help. And then we'll read the text here in just a minute. What I want to do is remind you of an ancient king of Judah, and his name was Asa, A-S-A, Asa. And he was king over Judah. A divided kingdom existed in his day, so he had the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom was called Israel, and there were ten tribes up there. Asa had two of the tribes where he was, Judah and Benjamin, uh, down in the south. And he was a man who, now uh, hear what I'm saying, he's a man who did not learn from his victories. He did not learn from his victories. You know, sometimes we say you need to learn from your mistakes, but you know what? God also gives us victories, and we need to learn from those victories how to do things right. And he was a man who showed he did not learn from his victory. And I don't mean just any victory. I mean one of the greatest victories militarily that ever happened in the pages of Scripture. Asa, the king of Judah, had, and it's, it's a fair amount, but he had 300,000 soldiers under his command in his army. And he trusted Yahweh God one day, for God gave him a great victory over another kingdom. And if you want to read about that, not now, but later, Second Chronicles 14 is the account of this in the Old Testament. And God gave him a great victory over some people that came against him, get this, with a million-member army, million soldiers, and they also had 300 chariots within their war machine. So a million-man army with 300 chariots comes against the king of Judah, a very small country, with 300,000 soldiers in his army, and because he trusted Yahweh God, God gave him a victory over that massive force of people that came against him. But then, in the 36th year of his reign, a man by the name of Baasha of Israel, so he's the king up north in Israel, came against Judah to fortify a city called Ramah. And the reason he went to Ramah is because people in Israel could see Asa is listening to Yahweh. Asa is following Yahweh. Asa is, is a man of God. And so people from Israel started wanting to go back to Judah. And Baasha said, I can't have people leaving Israel and going to Judah. So he went to a place that is kind of in the middle of those two areas, Judah and Israel, a place called Ram. He said, I'm going to fortify it so the king of, of Judah can't use it 
as a place to gather people for worship, and they won't be coming down there. So Asa took money from Yahweh's house, so he went to the temple and he took money, gold and silver, and he used it and some of his own, and he paid a man by the name of Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Aram, who is usually an, an enemy of Israel, but they had an alliance with Israel. And so he paid him off, so he gets on Judah's side now. And so Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, uh, made an alliance with him to stop Baasha. This Ben-Hadad did it, and he took care of this army that was opposing him. And God sent a prophet by the name of Hananiah, the seer, to confront Asa about what he did. What did he do? Well, he trusted God, and God gave him this great victory. What do you learn from that? That God will help me in any victory. I've never, I've never faced a million-man army, and I've never been a king, and I've only had 300,000 soldiers to his one million, plus he's got 300 chariots. That's a formidable force. And so I trust a man, and I, I pay him off to come help me. And he does. He goes up, and he does a lot of destruction in Israel for me. And God sends a prophet to confront the king of Israel. The message, because he relied on a man, instead of on God, Asa would lose dominion over Aram. In other words, they're going to be your enemy again, and you're going to lose dominion over them. So God said, because you didn't rely on me, now you're in trouble. What should you have done? What should you have learned by your victory? I should have learned that God will help me, and God is not going to let me be overrun if I trust in him. Now, pay attention, okay? The people that came from the south had a million-man army and 300 chariots. Asa has 300,000 people under his control. They still went to war. People were still fighting. It wasn't like, let's just stay home here in Judah, believe in God, and he will crush that army. No, they had to go out. See, God always wants us to put feet to faith. We believe it, then let's do something about it and watch what God does. It's important that you remember that as we talk about healing this morning. All right, so Asa got mad at the messenger, uh, this prophet of God, Hananiah, and he threw him in jail. <laughs> That's not the first time that happened to a prophet. Uh, you attack the messenger, not the message. Then in the 39th year of his reign, he got a severe foot disease, Asa did. And guess what he did? The Bible says very plainly. He did not seek Yahweh for help. Instead, he relied solely on human physicians. And uh, that was never healed. He died in the 41st year of his reign. And what we want to know is that God uses physicians all the time to heal people. But, and that's an important contrast, but ultimately, it is God who heals every time. God first when you need healing. And that's really what I'd like you to take away from here today. God first when it comes to healing anything that you have as a problem. Now let's look at our Matthew 8 passage, and we're looking at verses 1 to 13. Uh, we just finished the Sermon on the Mount in 729. So Jesus is descending from that mountain, and large crowds are following him down. See, when you have somebody that teaches that well, you're going to stick with them. And these people didn't want it to end. It's been a long sermon. But they don't want it to end. They want to be around Jesus. So verse 1, chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, 
you can make me clean. And that's something we want to camp on today, and we will. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, which, by the way, was against the law. You're not supposed to touch a leper. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. A testimony of what? There's somebody in Israel that can heal. There's somebody in Israel that is doing the things that Messiah was supposed to do, and he's doing them. We should pay attention to this guy. That's what Jesus wanted him to do for the priests. Verse 5, and when Jesus entered Capernaum, and we learned something about that this morning, a centurion, so a Gentile commander in the Roman army, came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, this is a man of faith. He says, you don't have to come. You don't have to be here. You just say the word and it'll happen. Now, how does he know that? Well, where's he coming from? So Matthew tells us where he's coming from. Verse 9. The centurion says, for I am a man under authority. So there's somebody that is a military commander above him with soldiers under me. So I'm in charge of, of soldiers under me. He's a centurion, so he's in charge of 100 soldiers. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And I say to another one, come. And he comes. And to my slave, I say, do this. And he just does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were following, Truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In, a play, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a clear picture of hell or the lake of fire. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you. And as you have believed, and the servant was healed that very moment. Now Matthew tells us in a way that we think the centurion actually came and talked to Jesus in person. He didn't, and we'll find out how it all worked out and what Matthew was saying, because it has to do with that authority of the centurion. Let's go back to verses 1 to 4. And what I focus on here, you look in your bulletin, is, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, what a leper wants is to be healed. When a leper is healed, that means that he is cleansed of his leprosy. Only then is he going to be allowed to go back and be around his relatives. Now, uh, so we learn here in verse 1, the Sermon on the Mount has been delivered, and Jesus is coming down the mountain. The text says literally that large crowds followed him, and there are people everywhere. Probably between this episode of coming off the mountain and showing up of the leper, there's been some time that took place. We say that because of what we read about this account in Luke and in Mark. Uh, it didn't happen immediately, but there's still a problem here. Probably those people have dispersed somewhat, but, but the meaning is after this, out of this, a leper came to him, and the leper should not have been there. 
Let's go back to the book of Numbers. I'm sorry, Leviticus. We'll go to Numbers later. Leviticus chapter 13. What does the law say about a person that has leprosy? And by the way, leprosy is a broad term that covered quite a few diseases in Israel. Mostly it would be an attack that happens on the feet, and uh, they would deteriorate, and they would get big like uh, elephant-like feet, and it would be just a horrible thing, very contagious. And so here was the law, Leviticus 13. If you get leprosy, this is what has to happen. And we're going to just look at uh, the part in verses 44 and uh, 45, so it's not the whole thing, and uh, 46. It says, he is a leprous man, verse 44, he is unclean. Now, what Jesus means by that is he's not fit to be around other people because this is very contagious. All right, and then the, pre- the priest will look at him and says this, then the leprous man is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His infection is on his head. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be disheveled or uncovered, matted, if you will. In other words, he's not taking care of it, and he shall cover his mustache, and he will cry, unclean, unclean. So if he happens to get close to some people, they shouldn't be around him because he's contagious. He covers his mustache so he doesn't get, you know, spittle on somebody, and says, unclean, unclean. In other words, steer away from me. Don't come near me. You You don't want what I have. And they have to live outside the camp. And he says in verse 46, he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the city or outside the camp. In these days in Leviticus, it would be outside the camp. Sometimes the lepers got together because they had no one else outside the camp. They weren't allowed to come close to a crowd. If they came anywhere close, they had to warn you, get back. I have something you don't want. So what's this guy doing? And Jesus obviously still has some people following him because of the centurion issue. And what's he doing near a crowd? He doesn't record that he yells unclean or unclean, uh, and nobody you know, notices except the way he's dressed. So maybe they backed up, but he comes and worships Jesus. You're not supposed to be that close to Jesus if you're a leper. He doesn't care. <laughs> Why doesn't he care? Because Jesus can heal him, and he believes it. So, even though he shouldn't be there, and people shouldn't touch him, it doesn't say anybody did except for one person. And in verse 2, the leper comes and worships Jesus. So here at the foot of Jesus, there's people around, the disciples are there. A leper comes, and he bows down, and he worships Jesus, really close to Jesus. And he has a request on his mind. Now, understand this. The leper is quite a theologian, more so than some of the contemporaries of his in Israel and in Judah in his day. He knew that Jesus was aware of what was wrong with him. He knew that Jesus was aware of what was wrong with him. So he didn't mention it. How many times do you go to God and you have a, a need or something going on inside, you know, or you're not feeling well or you have a sickness or something like that? And you go to prayer and you ask Jesus, but you don't tell Jesus what it is. Do you think he needs to know what it is? He already knows what it is. And this man knew Jesus knows why I'm here. I don't have to tell him. I just want to tell him what I believe about what's going on. So he doesn't mention what's wrong with him. 
Sometimes uh, I, I don't have, uh, I could, but I don't usually get, uh, for the people in the hospital, they don't usually tell me what they have, unless it's something I need to know for my own safety or for theirs. And so lots of times I'll visit with people, I don't know why they're there. They might tell me why, why they are there, but sometimes they don't. And that's okay with me. I don't need to know what's wrong with them to pray for them. And uh, it all turns out well when I pray for them. They're happy with it, even though they never told me why they're there. And that's okay because I know that God knows. And my prayer is going to count in terms of what God knows. So first he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, he knows something about the theology of healing that many of us don't. We think, we have this idea that no matter what's wrong with me, no matter what I have, Jesus is willing to heal it. And since we're doing country western stuff, I'll just say, that ain't true. That ain't true. Jesus does not have to heal it, and he is not always willing to heal it. And we'll see how that unfolds as we go through. So he knew what, uh, he knew what Jesus knew. You know why I'm here. And he makes his first theological statement, if you are willing. You see, all healing depends on the power and authority of God. It does not depend on anyone else, including you, the physicians, the medication, the operations, whatever it is. It first stops here, if you are willing. If he isn't willing, it doesn't matter what they do to you, it will not make it well. So he depends on the will of God for his request. Second, he reveals his faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus is capable of doing. If you are willing, you can make me well. You know what he did? He just, he just handed all this responsibility to Jesus. If you're willing, I know you can make me well. I know I don't have to go through this leprosy. I know you can, you can take it away in an instant. And if you are willing... He wants to know, Lord, uh, will you make me well? Now, would there be a time when Jesus is not willing? Well, yeah, I just said that. Let's see one. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 is uh, probably the one that people would go to the most. And it involves a guy that seems to be pretty important to ministry, a guy named Paul. And Paul was just recounting to some people about how he was caught up into heaven in this great vision that God gave him. Paul got to have a vision right in heaven, and uh, it, it, was, it was a fantastic issue, a fantastic thing. And then Paul says, here's what I want you to know, starting in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, Paul says, because I got to go to heaven, because I got to be in the throne room of God, because I got to hear the revelation of God right from his mouth at the throne, because of that greatness, he says, to keep me from exalting myself, let's, let's just say today, getting the big head about it, getting proud about it, thinking I'm something special, to keep me from getting uh, exalted, exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Well, where'd you get it? It's a messenger of Satan. Who let Satan do that? <laughs> Jesus did. And Paul wants you to further know, it was to torment me. So it's no little thing. 
It torments him. It's not something that uh, is, is fun. It literally, the text says, it beat me to keep me from exalting myself. Now, he said that twice in that same verse. He knows why God gave it to him. We may not know. I've had an issue since I was 20 that's never been able to be healed, never got free of it. Uh, sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. But I have it because God wants me to have it. No matter what I've done, I've got it. And Paul is like this, but mine doesn't beat me every day. Concerning this, I implored. Okay, that's just not the regular word for prayer. I implored. I really went after this with God three times that it might leave. And he, Jesus, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For power, and he means God's power, is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness, not the greatness of my revelation that I got to see, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You may think that's really not a good enough answer, God. That's not good enough for me. I don't really care that your greatness is exhibited in me. I just want to be healed. Paul didn't say that. Paul said, I'm all yours. If that's what you want, then that's what I'll do. There are other people in the Bible that did not get healed just because they asked. And there's people in our day that don't get healed just because they ask. God has, friends, a perfect will and a perfect way for each of us. A perfect way, a perfect will. Sometimes it is no. I am not willing. No. On the healing. Listen, is God ever not able to heal something? No. The Bible says all kinds of people with all kinds of sicknesses, everything you could imagine at times was brought to Jesus and he healed them all. No exceptions. Other times he didn't do that. In fact, one time it says he didn't heal anybody because the power of the Spirit was not present with him to do so for whatever reason God had against that, that city or those people. So God is God ever, ever not able to? Is he ever incapable of healing? No. And we've seen that demonstrated. So the leper teaches us that healing is a matter of God's will and authority and not a matter of whether or not he can heal something. God doesn't heal you because he can't. It's because he decided he won't. God, why would you decide such a thing? I thought you were a loving, caring God. He says, I am. My will is perfect for you. Like he said to Paul, and he said, I'll give you the grace to get through it. And that's what Paul hung on to. See, Jesus then touches this man and heals him with, with an immediate healing. Leprosy, no big deal. Jesus didn't have to, but he touches someone who would normally make the one who touched him unclean. Get that? Nobody touches the leper, or now you're unclean. And now you have to do certain things. Jesus reaches out and touches this man. And Jesus didn't become unclean because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. However, Jesus' touch did the opposite than what it usually did, and that is he did not become unclean, but he is the one who made clean the one who wasn't. Now he has to go show himself to the priest, and the priest has to look at him and say, yeah, it's, it's gone. So now you can come back to your family and come back to your home. You can, you can take care of your hair. You can wear nice stuff again. But you've got to go see the priest. Jesus has the power to cleanse the pollution that is in us through the effects of sin. 
Jesus tells him that he is indeed willing to cleanse him, so he commanded him to be cleansed. And this is in the passive imperative. It's a command, but the action is going to be done to him. It's a command to him, but Jesus will accomplish it. In other words, I think he's saying, carry on your faith, brother. And God is going to bless that. Now, that doesn't mean that if you don't get healed, you don't have faith. It does not mean that. But Jesus is, is showing this faith is powerful because Jesus makes it powerful on his behalf. Jesus told him not to tell anyone but the priest, because he has to go there and pronounce him clean. Mark chapter uh, 1, 45. Boy, I got to talking this morning, and I'm going to run out of time. Mark 1, 45. It'd be, it'd be nice if we just could eat here together. Oh, we can. It says, but when he went out, he began to proclaim it freely. <laughs> this is our leper. Wouldn't keep his mouth shut. Proclaim, proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent. And here's what Jesus was trying to avoid. Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. Too much of a mob. But he stayed out in the unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Because he got healed. You know what? We're supposed to be telling people about our healing spiritually. And we want people to come from everywhere to hear what the solution is. So he didn't obey Jesus. He just went out anyway. Now Jesus is more busy. We assume he got to the priest eventually. And the sacrifice for cleansing for a leper included two birds, wood, yarn, hyssop, two male lambs, a ewe, flour, and oil. <laughs> no small thing, but he was clean. In all of Israel's history, now listen, I'm talking about Israel, not, uh, not Gentiles. In all of Israel's history, only one person is ever said to have been cured from leprosy, and that was Miriam. Moses' sister, that day that Aaron and Miriam decided to lip off to Moses and make him feel bad and try to answer some questions that they had, and God stepped in and said, well, wait a minute, who do you think Moses is? I speak with him face to face. He is my friend. You're not going to treat him that way. So he strikes Miriam with leprosy. And, and uh, Moses prays and asks God to take it away from him. He says, you know what? She can just suffer with that for seven days. Send her out of the camp. I'll heal her in seven days. Not immediately. I need her to think about what she did. But she was healed. Now you would think, in this particular situation, by the way, that's Numbers 12, 10 to 15. It's a great read, not now, but it's a great read sometime. There's never been anyone else recorded cured of leprosy. Jesus shows up, and lepers are being healed all over the country. You would think that a priest would see this and say, hey, what's going on here? What's happening? The blind are seen, the lame are walking, lepers are being healed. I wonder if Messiah could be here. That's why Jesus said, go tell the priest, show him. A miracle has happened. But nobody was listening. And today we try to tell people about how they can go to heaven, and it seems like fewer and fewer are listening. But we keep trying. This is why it's a big deal what Jesus did. It would be a great testimony to the priests. Someone special in Israel is here. And he's doing miraculous things, but they don't like it. It is certainly not a lack of faith to include our request for healing in the with the contingency of the Lord's will for us. Quite a number of times in the hospital, I've prayed for somebody, and I say, well, let's ask the Lord's will be done for you. And I actually had a guy say, if that's the way you're going to pray, you can get out of my room. 
Well, what do you mean? I don't want you praying if it's God's will. I want you to claim it and pray it and say, God, heal this man. Well, what about God's will for you? He said his will is always to heal, always to help. And if you can't pray that way, then get out of my room. I got out of his room. Snuck around the corner and prayed for him anyway. See, what the leper teaches us is that faith and the will of God go together in this process, ultimately relying on God's healing. Then there's this Gentile in verses 5 to 10. A Gentile shows the greatest faith that Jesus has found in anyone in Israel in his ministry. Our impression here is that the text is that Jesus has no problem reaching out to this outca- the outcasts of society. That includes the Gentiles. There is a parallel account in Luke and Mark that mentions that the centurion was not physically present for the conversation. Apparently, he didn't feel worthy uh, to even be in the presence of Jesus. Now, I do want to read that in Luke 7 and, and in verse 2 to 10. Here's how it went as according to Luke. And the centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, that's the centurion, he sent out some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, This man is worthy for you to grant this this to him, for he loves the nation, he means of Israel. And it was he who built our synagogue, pointing at the one in Capernaum that we just saw a part of. Uh, Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Uh, But Jesus, say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now that's faith. Uh, It's still up to Jesus. For I also am a man placed under authority. He goes and talks about what Matthew did. So Matthew said the centurion came. He came in the form of priests who were carrying his word for him because this guy didn't feel worthy of even being in the presence of Jesus. And so we learn from the uh, synoptic gospels uh, the, the full story. He sent some Jewish elders to ask for him because of his unworthiness. I think that's why Jesus was wanting to go, because the guy wasn't really there in front of him. They loved this man because he built their synagogue, their local place of worship in Capernaum. And he definitely loved the Jewish nation. Jesus said he would come to the centurion's house. That's out of line. Jews don't go to a Gentile's house, not in these days. But then Jews don't reach out and touch a leper. Jesus is different. Jesus said he would come to the centurion's house. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, this would not have been uh, a practice that Jews would participate in. But there was a crowd that went with him they had to see this. We learned that the man believed that he wasn't worthy even to be in the presence of Jesus, and that included turning down the offer of Jesus uh, to come in person. So how does, Jesus ex- how does he expect Jesus to heal his servant? His answer is, You just give the word, and I'll be healed. That's it. You just give the word. Here, in this case, my servant will be healed. The centurion knows exactly how authority works, because he has authority over people. And where authority is concerned, he knows how it works. He says, look, I'm under authority, but the hundred men that I'm over, if I tell them to go do something, they're going to go do it. They don't even ask questions. If I tell my slave, do this, he does it. If you say, my servant is healed, It's healed. You know what that is? Faith and authority. No healing happens 
outside of the authority of God for it to happen. No disease comes to anyone outside of the authority of God for it to come. He is a man of authority. He understands authority. And if he is told to do something, he does it. And if Jesus talks to this sickness and, and in his authority says you're gone, it's gone. And if you have kids that don't obey you, there may be an authority issue. <laughs> There's no issue with this centurion, no issue with Jesus. The bottom line is that he has no trouble believing that Jesus has the authority to heal from a distance. That's why we don't mind praying for people that we get a request. One of your relatives lives in Texas or something. We'll pray. It, it's, it's not a, a, a distance issue. The bottom line is that he has no trouble believing this. Healing is a matter of God's authority. Who's in control? Now, I love our doctors. I love our physicians. They do a fantastic job. They work very hard. They use what God has given them. But our, our physicians are also believers, and they depend on the authority of God. They depend on the power of God, and they have faith for their patients. That's why they pray for them. You know how rare that is? <laughs> it doesn't happen in any other hospital I ever have gone to, even as, as a pastor visiting. But we still go. You remember I said Asa had 300,000? He didn't say stay home. He went. I'm not ever going to say don't go see your doctor. Go see him, especially ours who love Jesus. And they're going to pray for you. And uh, Siri has no business in my talking about that. I forgot to shut her off again. Anyway, don't, don't pay attention to her. Pay attention to this. They believe in God as much as you do. And they know they can't take care of everything. And sometimes they tell patients that and that God is going to have to intervene here. And God is going to make up his mind. And that's the faith that we have. What an understatement on this man's part. Jesus has authority over the universe itself. There is nothing that Jesus does not have authority over in all of creation. At least this Gentile had the faith to believe uh, that is true. Often we act like Jesus doesn't have the authority in certain areas of life. Dr. Barbieri said to this, one with authority need not be present to accomplish his task. Jesus tells us that he is not, has not found anyone in Israel who has exhibited this great faith the centurion has. See, everybody else is saying, Jesus, over here, over here, heal this person. We want to see it. We want to we believe and see it. And this guy says, I don't have to see anything. I'm believing that this guy is who he says he is, and he can just say the word, and it'll be done. And guess what? Jesus, he, he honored that, and he said, it's done. And it was done. He, I don't think he ever saw Jesus. I don't know how close he was to the home, but he doesn't need that. Now, that's faith. Jesus tells us that he didn't find any faith anywhere among people who ought to know how to believe, but they didn't. And you and I believe that nothing works without faith and that it's impossible to please God without faith. In verses 11 through 13, Jesus is more than open to the inclusion of Gentiles in the family of God. And so Jesus tells this story with Jews listening. This is going to hurt. And he says in verse 11, 
I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, which sounds like they're part of the kingdom of heaven, that's not what he's talking about. In the kingdom of heaven, Gentiles will come from the east and the west in order to recline in fellowship at table with the fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is fellowship between some of the greatest patriarchs that Judaism had ever birthed with Gentiles. And you and I will meet these men someday, and maybe we'll be able to sit at a banquet with them as well. But there are sons, Jesus says, of the kingdom. He means the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom that's supposed to be the kingdom of God, who are not really sons of the Lord's kingdom. There are people in the kingdom that don't belong. There are people that go to churches who've never trusted Christ as their Savior. They're there, but they don't really belong to Jesus. And Jesus is saying there's going to be people of this kingdom that don't make it into the other kingdom, God's kingdom. And they are the physical sons of Abraham. That's what makes them part of the kingdom here on earth. But they are not spiritual sons of Abraham, which makes them not a part of the kingdom in heaven. These sons will not be welcome. He's talking about the Jews of this, you know, watching him do this. They will be cast out. They have no fellowship in this kingdom of heaven. Their place is outside in outer darkness. And he goes on to say that in the last, uh, last part of this. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus encourages the centurion. It's being done instantly as you have requested. But for these there will be outer darkness. There will be hell. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see the text, what it really says? The weeping. A special kind of weeping for hell. The gnashing of teeth. Not just any gnashing, but one that has been designed for people in pain in hell, which is why we're trying to keep people out of hell. As for this Gentile, Jesus will do as he had asked, because it is his will to do so, and by his authority to do so. Jesus tells them that as he has believed, it will be done for him. Belief is not a magic pill. You have belief in Jesus that he can heal you whether he does or not. And if he doesn't, I have to believe there's a reason for it. I may not understand it, but this is how I'm going to live. The young servant was immediately healed. Jesus was extraordinarily impressed with the faith of this Gentile. So that makes us ask this question. And the question for each of us that we each have to ask, that I ask, you ask too, okay? I wonder what his opinion about my faith and your faith is. Do we have the kind of faith that Jesus is impressed with and would tell others about? Let me give you some applications here. Number one, Jesus has all authority over every sickness. Jesus has all authority over every sickness. And what I said earlier was without his authority, there is no healing. Number two, it is not a lack of faith in the hospital when you want to pray for somebody, but they don't want you to pray that the will of God be done. It is not a lack of faith to include the purpose of God's will for us or for someone else in the request. It's not a lack of faith. It's what we're supposed to do. You know why? because it is submission to the authority of Christ. Thirdly, <clears throat> excuse me, thirdly, we should know, <coughs> excuse me, I'm having trouble here. Thirdly, we should know that Jesus can heal if he wants to heal. 
And certainly in Paul's case, it wasn't because Jesus did something wrong. I mean, Paul did something wrong. You get that? Paul didn't do anything wrong, but he had this problem. And fourthly, because I can hear children about to break through the walls, our mistakes are, fa are failing to have faith that he can heal and blaming him for wrongdoing, for wrongdoing to us if he chooses not to. Let me see that again. Our mistakes are failing to have faith that he can heal and blaming him for wrongdoing or doing wrong to us if he chooses not to heal. Let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we call you gracious because you are. We call you good because you are. The Apostle Paul never gave up on the glory and power and authority and your right over him when he got that thorn in the flesh. He continued to serve you, to love you, and accept it from you. And there are people in this world, and I've experienced a little bit of it, that you don't get healed for what you ask for. And there's other people that have miraculous healings, and, and people would claim that this is only the hand of God when, when all healing is the hand of God, and all healing is his authority. Thank you for our doctors who have been trained in the, the medical arts and sciences. They know that it's not perfect. They know that it doesn't take care of everything. And so they are people of faith, and they pray, and they care about us as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray that you might just bless their efforts as they try to help people and depend on you for healing, as we should. We depend on you. And let your answer bring us praise, whatever it is, yes or no. Thank you for teaching us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.